Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We just thank you that you are investing uh, in us and that you're showing us kindness. And we thank you that we will know the love of God that passes all knowledge and that we'll be able to comprehend with all the saints how wide and how long and how deep is your love for us. And Father, we just thank you today that Ephesians 1.17 that the eyes of our heart be opened and be enlightened so that we can see you and how much you love us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. And let me just say that Rick's been out of town a lot with his family, and he's had some other assignments, so he's not just been laying out. I just wanted to say that uh, there for him. That's his story, and he's sticking to it. All right, here we go. We're talking about God is love, and I just want to review very quickly. And we've been reading, we won't take time, but reading from 1 John 4, I would encourage you to read 1 John 4. It's an amazing chapter on God's love. There's there's a number of times that love is mentioned in that chapter, and it really illuminates some things about the character of God. And so we actually boiled down 1 John 4 to this PowerPoint for life. Check this out. Don't tell me that you love me, but show me by loving. Don't tell me that you love God. Show me. Don't tell me that you love your spouse. Show me. Don't tell me that you love your children. Show me. Because the Bible says in 1 John 4, and I believe it is verse 8, the Bible declares that when we know God, we love because God is love. We know God and we love because God is love. And we talked about uh, pushing away fear, that love brings confidence and love brings security. We talk, And we're going to look more at that actually today. But check out this next PowerPoint for life. Don't fear God as your judge when you know Him as Father. We, When we come to know God as our Father and we come to know the love of God, then we don't fear God as judge because He is our Father. I want to give you some revelation this morning. You may have troubles, you may have challenges, but God is not your problem. God is not the source of of your challenges and the source of your conflicts. God is for you. Would you say that with me? And I don't want to overdo that, but it is a tool to help us engage. Say, God is for me. We have to come to the point where we believe that God is for me. He's not against me. He has a good plan for me. He wants my life elevated. He wants my life raised. He wants my life blessed so I can be a blessing. And so we have to understand some things about the Lord. And then we looked at characteristics of true love. Now, if you watch movies, and I would almost encourage you not to watch movies, if you watch movies, uh, they give you a false sense of what love is. They give you a false picture of what love is. I come here today just to tell you that love is not a feeling. What is that? Feelings, feelings. I've got that wonderful feeling. Love is not a feeling. And how many of you are glad I'm preaching today and not singing? I got a big amen from Jim over there. <laughs> and so love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Every teenager in the house, please listen. Every college student in the house, please listen. You don't fall into love with someone and then vice versa. You don't fall out of love with someone. I will never fall out of love with my wife, Tara, because love is a choice. Love is based on my character and not the character of the receiver. So when I love my children, I love them based on my integrity. I love them based on who I am. I love them based on my character, not what they're doing. Therefore, when you're in a relationship, you cannot fall in and fall out of love. If you ever counsel anybody, if you ever have a counseling session with someone, they'll say, well, we just don't feel like we love each other. Well, who told you that you're supposed to feel like you love somebody? 
Whoever told you this is all about how you feel. True love is a choice. True love is a commitment. And it's not something that you can fall in and and out of because it is a choice. Every day when I wake up, I choose to love that lady. Every day when I wake up, I choose to love you as a church. It's a little harder for some of you than others, but I'm working through it. Praise the Lord. Every day when I wake up, love is a choice. Not only that, but when we talk about love and God's love, look at the next screen. We have some more characteristics. Love is unselfish. You, you want to prove you have love, have children. Your selfishness goes out of the door, or at least it should. Because when you're, when you're tired and when you're, you know, busy and the child needs attention, guess what? You have to give the child attention. And they need attention at the worst times. Could I have an amen? Basketball game's on, one minute left to go, it's neck and neck, and the child needs a diaper. And they just come bringing you the diaper. They've taken it off and they're like, Daddy, I need a diaper. Have you know, it can't be selfish at that point. Go tell your mother doesn't work all the time. She sends them back. Go tell your father. And the kid's going back and forth with a diaper. Love is, un- I mean, that's an image that you didn't need in your head. True love, God's love for me, my love for you is, is unselfish. Now, we live in such a selfish society. When, when you are giving of yourself and when you are truly unselfish, you will stand out like a healed thumb. Notice I didn't say sore thumb. We're not confessing sore thumbs. You'll stand out like a healed thumb. You'll stand out amongst people when you are truly uh, investing in the well-being of other people. And people will challenge your motives because everything is has strings attached to it. Do you know that I can love John and Maxie without any strings attached? I can love them and bless them and invest in them and give them things. And I can honestly expect nothing in return. Except maybe a high five. I might expect a high five back in return. But other than that, doesn't the Bible say, oh, oh man, anything but to love one another? So true love is unselfish. True love is unconditional without condition. First Peter 4, 8 says this, above all, have fervent, unfailing love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. It overlooks unkindness and it unselfishly seeks the best for others. So we should continue to show a deep, passionate love for others. And so love is also, as we saw, is a commitment. Now, we talked to you last week about receiving God's love. I can give you a gift, but it must be received. How many of you have a job? Can I see your hand? Amen. That's a good number. We should take up another offering. Hallelujah. We have a lot of employed people in the church. How many of you earn a paycheck through your job? How many of you take that paycheck, put it in the drawer, and never cash it? What? What is wrong with you? It's been given to you. You've been given a certain amount of value and treasure. What do you mean? How do you spend it? How do you take that check and turn it into money? You have to sign the back. You have to endorse it. You have to put it in your bank. You have to receive what has been given to you. God's love has been given. A revelation of how much God loves us has been freely given, but we must learn to receive it. So let's turn to Ephesians 3. Very quickly, we're going to just catch you up on these passages from last week. Now, if you were not here last week, 
or the week before, please get online and get the podcast. And I don't say that just to have you go somewhere. This is a very important teaching, and you need this over and over and over again. And there's a lot of foundational things that have brought us to this point that if you missed last week, then you may not fully grasp it. And this is one of the most important things that I can teach you. All right, Ephesians chapter 3, and we're just going to read through several verses. 14 says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. So Paul's praying this. It's a prayer. He's praying that the folks at Ephesus that would be granted, it says verse 16, that God would grant you. And I love that, that God would grant you. Who does the granting? God. Because God is a giver. Notice, according to the riches of His glory. God does not grant you because of your ability. God does not grant you because of your effort. God does not grant you because of how good you are or how bad you are. God grants you according to the riches of His glory, of His deep treasury. God doesn't just give you the scraps that fall off the table of heaven. God dips into His very glory and the riches of His treasury to give to you. His garage in heaven is one pearl. The Bible says the gates are one pearl. Can you imagine the oyster that huffed that thing up, praise God? The streets of gold are clear. God is not operating by our economy. God is not hurting for money. God doesn't even need your money. He needs your heart. And so he, he doesn't withhold from his children. He gives us, he grants to us, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. It says here that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, that you would be strengthened with power in the inner man. So how many of you would like better outward circumstances? Many of us in the room would like better Outward circumstances. Better outward circumstances start by an inward power. It says that He would grant you, according to His riches, glory, that you'd be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Now notice this here in verse 17. So that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith and that you would be rooted and grounded in love. This morning, for the next few minutes, I want to connect for you you being established, you being rooted, Jared, if you could go back for just a second. Thank you. I appreciate that. You being rooted and you being established connects to your faith. Your faith will not work if you are not rooted and established in how much God loves you. You will never come to Christ and ask for forgiveness of sins if you're not first made aware of how much He loves you and that He wants to offer forgiveness for you. So Paul prays that we would be established. We'd be rooted and grounded in love. Love keeps us grounded. Love keeps us from getting out of bounds. Now notice this in verse 18. The scripture says that we would be able to comprehend. That word means to seize or take eagerly. That we would seize and take eagerly with all the saints. What is the width and the breadth and the length and the height? In verse 19, that we would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that we would be filled up with all the fullness of God. So what is God's desire for you? It's to have a revelation of the width of His love, the breadth of His love, the height, the depth. God's love has different facets. Just because you get saved doesn't mean you fully understand all that God has for you. Just because you give your life to Christ doesn't mean that you have a, a revelation of the deepest extremities of God's love. God wants you to dive into the deepest extremities of His love. Because when you do that, go back to verse 19, I want you to see this. 
Because then at that point, we see Ephesians 3.19. Check out this scripture. It says that we would be we would know the love of Christ that goes way beyond just natural knowledge and that we would be filled up with all the fullness of God. Do you know why we're preaching about God's love? Because a deep revelation of how much God loves me will allow me to be filled up. Now that word in the original language, filled up, is the Greek word pleru. And it means to fill a hollow. It means to stuff or to cram. So literally this passage says that we should be stuffed and crammed with what God is stuffed and crammed with. We should be filled up with all the fullness of God. Meaning there's no reason for you to be empty emotionally. There's no reason for you to be empty spiritually. There's no reason for you to be uh, empty and depressed and guilty because we can be filled up to all the fullness of God. And God is love. And so we can be stuffed and crammed and fill a hollow with what God is stuffed and crammed with, and that is love. So why love? Look at Ephesians 3.20. So we know there's knowledge We're stuffed and filled up. That's why Sunday church is so important. It fills you up. That's why Wednesday prayer meetings are so important. This is exciting. I'm getting excited. I may give myself an offering later. Praise the Lord. Now unto him who is able. Let's connect this here. You ready? Now unto him who's able. How many of you, by show of hands, believe God is able? So how do we get the ability of God to work in our life? Everybody believes God is able, but is God willing? Yes, God is able, but is he going to do it for you? Or is he just able to do that in Africa or the Philippines? Or yeah, God's able to help those missionaries, but when it comes to me and my problem, maybe I think God is able, but I haven't yet received that God is not only able, but he's willing and he wants to do that in my life. So what are we talking about? A deep revelation of God's love. Jared, we're going to come back to this scripture. Let's pull up the width scripture that shows the the slide on the width of God's love. So one dimension is God's givingness and His graciousness. The width of God's love is His arms. They're wide enough to love all of His children. This is the giving element of God. Look at the length. It's like the song we sang this morning. I appreciate Candy putting that song in the setup because God will go to any length for you. God will go to any length for you. He's long-suffering towards us. This speaks of God's mercifulness and His compassion towards His people. What about the height of God's love? God's love lifts. You know why I love this church? Because it lifts. This is a lifting place. When you come in and sit under the music and the anointing of God, the power of God is flowing, and then through the preaching and through the fellowship, there is a lifting attribute of God's love. It's not something that we just manufacture. It's not something we just try to do. But God's love lifts us. There's a a height of God's love. Now, I put this in my notes from last time. It says we can soar like the eagles. It doesn't say we can walk on the ground like the chickens. We got too many Christians living like chickens, just trying to peck around and find a seed here and there and find a worm here and there and lay an egg here and there and whatever else chickens do and... But we can soar like the eagles, praise God. The Bible says we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible says we have an upward calling in Christ Jesus. So there's a lifting element of God's love. And then the next one is the depth. And this is one we don't like. This is the correcting element of God. 
Because sometimes God has to dig deep down and He has to move some things. How many of you have ever built a home or dug a foundation? You have to move what's already there so you can put something better in place. When this building was built, they had to dig in the ground. They had to remove the dirt that was there and the rock that was there so they could put the appropriate foundation. Sometimes God has to correct us and dig down and move some things out so that He can put in what He wants. And then we see Ephesians 3.20. This is what's so powerful. Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do far above, exceedingly beyond all we can ask or think. But notice this here. Ready? Say this with me. Ready? According to the power that works within us. That word works in the original Greek language, if you looked it up, means energized. Now, why do I tell you that? I'm not a Greek scholar. Don't pretend to be one. But these words tell us something that the English language doesn't tell us. So the word here, if you'll leave this up, Jared, for a few minutes, my friend, is that works within us. That word is energized. So listen, let me give you some revelation, okay? Hear my heart here. God is unlimited in what He can do. But He is limited in my life by what is being energized and activated in my life. And the way that I activate more of God, the way that I energize more of God's ability in my life is through a deep revelation of how much God loves me, the width and the depth and the height and the breadth. It's all connected. So the more that you get a revelation of how much God loves you, the more you will see the ability and the might and the power of God at work in your Life, can we give God a hand so I can take a breath? So God is able, God is powerful, God is willing, but it's according to something. Here's the disconnect, Pastor Rick. Here's the disconnect. Everybody believes God is able, but the disconnect comes into what I am allowing to be energized and activated in my life. Why does, why does the Word of God work for some people? And then some people never see any fruit. They never see any results. Is it possible that they believe God is able, but yet they've not figured out this deep revelation of how much God loves them, the width and the length and the height and the depth, and they're not comprehending this that passes mere head knowledge, and therefore the ability of God is limited in their life because that is not being activated and energized. So let me give you two foundations real quick, two foundations to receiving God's love. Write this down if you're taking notes. If you're in this room and you're a preacher, man, I'd write this down. This would be a good sermon for you one day. (laughs) If you're in this room and you want to be a preacher one day, I would write this down. This will be a great sermon for you one day. Two foundational realities to receiving God's love. Number one, God's love is life. Now, I understand the road that I'm about to take us down. I understand situations in the room. I understand what religion has taught for years. And I understand that what I'm going to say kind of goes against the grain. I don't mean it condemning. I don't mean it challenging. But I mean it in a, in a challenge. I do mean it in a challenging way that we can look at God's love is life. And my spiritual father in the face, uh, faith, in, in the faith, who's in my face sometimes, My spiritual father in the faith, Pastor Jim Freese, says it like this. He said, God is not a car-wrecking, cancer-causing creator. He's a loving, life-giving Lord. God is not a car-wrecking, cancer-giving creator. He's a loving, life-giving Lord. God does not need to burn your house down to teach you something. 
That's not how God loves. And so much of religion says, because I sinned, and let me just tell you, sin opens the door to the devil. We're going to spend some time on that. But so much of religion says that because you did this, God must be mad at you, and therefore this negative consequence in your life is because God is mad at you. They never blame the devil. How about the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy? How about we live in a cursed, fallen world? There's a famous country music singer a while back who had a terrible car accident, and out of that terrible car accident found Jesus, and actually Jesus found him. He didn't really find him. Jesus found him, but he would get on national TV and say, I believe God put this you know, tragic car wreck on me so that I would realize that I needed to be saved. You were drunk as a skunk. <laughs> Jim Bean caused that car wreck. God had nothing to do with it, Amen. And so we look at negative situations in our life and we say, oh man, God must be mad at me. He must be trying to teach me something because, you know, this and that and the other. And listen, there is a path to holiness. Holiness opens the door to God and shuts the door to the devil. And unholiness shuts the door to God and opens the door to the devil. But we must understand God's love is life. God is not the source of our trials and our afflictions. He's the answer. Look at Psalm 34, 19. Psalm 34, 19 says, The righteous person faces many troubles that God put on them. Is that what it says? No, for those of you listening by audio. It says the righteous person. Somebody on the podcast can be like, This guy doesn't know his Bible. I'm turning this off. Let me finish. Let me finish. It doesn't say. It does not say the righteous person faces many troubles because God put them on him. It says the righteous person, the man of faith, the woman of faith, they go through many afflictions and many trials and many tests, but it says God comes to rescue each time. The Lord delivers them out of them all. Notice here in John 6, 63, Jesus said this, My spirit gives death, and the flesh profits everything. And the words that I've spoken, they are spirit and death. Is that what Jesus said? Again, those of you listening to the podcast, that is not the verse. I understand. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, the words that I give are life. It's the Spirit of God that gives life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So if you are experiencing some kind of death, some kind of spiritual death, maybe even some kind of physical death, get in the book just hearing the words of God. Bring life. Just a few weeks ago, David's family was resisting some uh, sickness and they were recovering and fighting through that like many of us have seen and, and we're pushing through that. And I sent him an audio recording of, of a pastor just reading God's Word. And anytime I feel anything coming on my body that I don't want, that I don't want around, we're putting on the healing scriptures, praise God. Why? Because even just me hearing the words of God bring life to my body. And I believe it, Amen. Y'all may not believe it. You don't have to receive it. You won't be bothered with it. But man, I'm telling you what, it's life to me. Just hearing, just listening to my podcast is going to bring life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got one fan. It was my mother, but we don't have to bring that point out. Thank you, Mom, for the only clap. Look at James 1.17. Somebody says, say, God's life, God's, God's love is life. Oh, bless his heart. God just loves you to death. No, God doesn't love you to death. God loves you to life. Look at this in James chapter 1 and verse 17. 
This is a foundation to receive God's love. If you think God is the source of your problems, God is the source of your affliction, God is the source of your trials, you will not correctly receive His love. Every good thing given and every perfect gift comes from the devil. Is that what it says? Just seeing if you're awake. Notice this here. Every good gift, every perfect thing is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Notice this here. With whom there is no even variation, no even shifting shadow, meaning God is not changing His mind. He is a good God. His mind is made up. He loves you. His mind is made up. He's a good God. If you read this uh, in, in John, where, you know, First John is the book of love and, and even the gospel of John, you know that, that he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Guess who's the one that they couldn't kill? 90 plus years old on the Isle of Patmos, boiled in oil, who wrote the book of Revelation. The one who had a revelation of how much Jesus loved him. He said, I'm writing this to you, the disciple that Jesus loved. You know what I tell myself? I get up in the morning and I go, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. I am the one that Jesus loves. And when I get really excited, I'll dance around my house. I am the one that Jesus loves. And I do. And I refresh that in my mind because I am the one that Jesus loves. I am the disciple that Jesus loves. Would you say that? I am the disciple. Do you believe it? See, we're getting there. We're stirring. This is a revelation of the width and depth and height of God's love. It's connected to everything that you receive from God. Remember, God is able, but it's according to something that's working in us. It's according to something that's energized and activated in us. Look at John 10.10. The thief comes only in order to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, let let me present to you a logical question. You like logic? You like reason? Let me present to you a logical question. If God authored the Ten Commandments, which He did, can I have an amen? Let's see how well we're doing teaching the Bible. His Ten Commandments talk about thou shalt not lie, bearing false witness, talk about thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. So if God is killing and stealing, then He is lying because He's a hypocrite. Because he gave us a command that said, Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder innocently. That's what the kill means. And so if God is doing those things to George to teach George a lesson, then God is a hypocrite. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm not serving a hypocritical God. He has no shadow of turning. So the Bible says that the the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said this. He said, I came that they may have and enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy life. Well, I've got the joy of the Lord in my heart. Please tell your face, some of you, please, please. Everybody smile. Let me see. I need a big smile right there. Meshach likes that. It is okay for you to enjoy life. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to have challenges. It doesn't mean that occasionally you're not going to have tests, trials, tribulations. But you can choose the joy of the Lord. This is foundational. Jesus wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. Did we talk about the fullness of God being stuffed and crammed with what God is stuffed and crammed with? He's stuffed and crammed with love. God wants your life overflowing with love. Now look at number two, the second. Go back to that initial screen, Jared. The second foundational truth is God does not love me based on my performance. We've got to get out of the mindset that God loves me based on what I do. 
or that I have to be good enough to earn God's love. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 10. This is going to help everybody in the room. Luke chapter 10, and let's begin in verse 38. This is a story that was referenced uh, in the last couple of weeks here, and we've talked about it. Different folks have been talking about it, and it's very appropriate for this. God does not love me based on my performance. And how many of you are glad? <laughs> how many of you are glad? God doesn't love me based on how good of a drummer I am. As we noticed this morning, thank God. Hallelujah. Here we go, Luke chapter 10. Thank you. I wasn't fishing for a compliment, but I'll take it. I'll take whatever I can get. And again, it's my mother clapping. All right, praise the Lord. <laughs> Luke chapter 10, notice this here in verse 38. It says, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village. We're going to talk about Mary and Martha, and we heard about Lazarus. He entered a village, and, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. How many of Jesus is passing by? We should welcome him into our life and into our home. I mean, you know, you don't want Jesus to come up and there be a big sign that says, no Jesus allowed here. I mean, you know, we need to welcome Jesus even in our home. So notice this here in verse 39, she had a sister called Mary. Mary was seated, verse 39, at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. What is the words of Jesus? Their spirit and their life. Mary was listening to spirit. She was listening to life. Notice this here in verse 40, the scripture says, but Martha was distracted. The old King James says, cumbered about with much serving. Notice here, the problem with Martha is not that she was serving. There is a time to receive, but there's also a time to give out. The problem is she let her serving become a distraction from the most important thing, which are the words of Jesus, which are spirit and life. And so notice this here, Martha was distracted, cumbered about with much serving and much in her preparations. And she came to him and said, I love this. She's, she's like having a little tantrum right here in scripture. She's saying, Jesus, don't you care? I clean this house. I, I vacuumed the hair, the camel hair up. I, you know, I've, I've went and drawn all the water. And, and don't you care that, that my sister has left me to do all the serving? I'm the only one that does anything in this church. Look out. Well, I'm the only one that cares about any of this stuff. Thank God we don't have an attitude here. We've got many hands make light work. Amen. Come on, let's give God thanks. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this serving alone? Would you tell her to help me? She's not listening to me, but, you know, you're Jesus. She's obviously going to listen to you. Martha, Martha. Y'all think a sitcom invented that, but Jesus actually invented that. Martha, Martha. Jesus said, you're worried and bothered about so many things. Notice the word she was distracted. Our serving and our giving and our loving and our investing in people, those are all very important, but they can never become a distraction from being... And, and I take this too. Martha was trying to get her love and acceptance based on what she was doing. Whereas Mary, we notice here, Mary says she found the one thing that is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part, the best part, which shall not be taken away from her. So Jesus didn't condemn Martha for serving, just like he didn't condemn Mary for sitting at his feet and listening to the words. So Mary was getting her identity from the words of Christ, how much God loved her. And Martha was trying to be accepted by Jesus based on what she was doing. She was in the perpetual 
performance trap. Yes, serve. Yes, give. Yes, obey. Yes, sacrifice. But only because you are loved, not to be loved. So let me give you this morning just a few minutes here. Let me give you six layers of God's love. Well, I know we talked about the width and the height and the depth. Don't worry, we're only going to do a few, maybe one. Let me know, it'll have to come back next week. Let me give you six layers of God's love. This is why it took three years, ladies and gentlemen, to go through the book of Titus. I mean, dear me, help us, Jesus. <laughs> All right, here we go. The first layer of God's love. There's different layers. You peel back and you see a layer, peel back and you see a layer. Let me spend some time this morning about God's love. God's love convicts and never condemns. God's love convicts and never condemns. Let me draw some distinction between those two words if we can for a moment. Look at Romans 8 and verse 1. This is a very popular scripture. Most people know this, but I want to bring some new things out that maybe you've not seen, maybe you've not thought about. Let's read it together all together. Ready? Read. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, a couple of words here that I want to pull out because they have very significant meaning in this passage. The first one is therefore. And if we remember a while back when uh, Randy Denson was here and he was doing some teaching, he said if, if something starts with therefore, we need to look and see why is it therefore. And so this therefore is there by reason. Jared, if you could, friend, pull back Romans 8.1. I appreciate that. I want these to see this. Therefore connects us to chapter 7. Now, here's what you may not know, because I didn't know this until studying this. Chapter 1 through 7 of Romans is pretty bleak. It paints a very hard picture. That's where we see Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We see Romans chapter 1 through 7 paints a picture of our sinfulness. It paints a picture of our hope, hopelessness. It paints a picture of how sin can rule over us and have power over us and dominion over us. In chapter 7, that's where Paul says, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do. He says, oh, what a wretched man I am. How many of you have ever quoted that scripture and felt like I'm just a wretched person today? And so chapters 1 through 7, the Holy Spirit is mentioned one time. One time in chapters 1 through 7. Now we begin chapter 8. And in just this one chapter, the Holy Spirit in chapter 8 is mentioned 19 times. In just chapter 8. One time in seven previous chapters. 19 times, depending on your translation. In just chapter 8. What does that mean? There's a tremendous difference between how we deal with sin and overcome sin in our life versus when we're doing it in the flesh and on our own and when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So therefore, because we are engaged in the Spirit of God, there is now. Everybody say now. Listen, the, the land of no judgment does not just belong to Planet Fitness. Can I have an Amen. <laughs> I mean, that's the no judgment zone. George is not allowed to work out there because he makes loud noises when he works out. And they don't like loud noises, apparently, at Planet Fitness. But you can enter the no judgment zone now. Not just when we're in heaven. Well, when we're in heaven and there's no sin, I won't be condemned. You can live in a judgment-free, condemnation-free life right now. Therefore, now there is no and if you look at that word no in the original Greek language, it actually means no. You like that? It is a revelation. It, it really means not even a trace. 
I studied that word out, read some commentaries on it. Not even a hint, not even a trace of condemnation. There's therefore now no condemnation, not even an ounce to those who are in. Now I want you to see this very closely, all right? I'm going to help you this morning. Everybody say, my pastor loves me. I want to help you here, all right? If you could look at me and give me just a few more minutes of your attention. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Not just around. Not just around God's Word. Not just around good godly people. Not just around church. Not just around the music. But those who are in. There's a difference in being in and around. When I am in the body when I'm serving in a place, when I'm in a church, when I'm planted in the house of the Lord, when I'm in God's Word, then I will have the freedom of how much God loves me. He's my Father, not just my judge. And at that point, I can begin to walk in a freedom in my Christianity where when I sin, I confess it, and I forsake it, and I forget it, and I move on because I cannot pay for it. That's a good place to give God praise. So listen about conviction. What is conviction, ladies and gentlemen? Listen, conviction is an inward focus on who you are. You are a child of God. Conviction says you are so loved by God. Condemnation is an outward agitation based on what you did. You are unworthy because you sinned. Where conviction says you are too worthy to sin. Why are you making such low decisions when you have such a high calling? But condemnation is an outward, external agitation based on your do. You've got to separate your who from your do. Who you are is loved and valued, but what we do and what I did may need correcting from time to time. Conviction says you're too worthy to sin. Condemnation says you are unworthy because you sinned. Conviction is an inward focus that I'm a child of God. Conviction draws. Condemnation rejects. And so we've got to separate and understand that God's love is a convicting love. Remember I talked about love lifts you. Condemnation pushes you down based on what you did. Conviction lifts you up because you have such a high calling. Because you have such a high calling. Now, number two, look at the second layer of God's love. I want you to see this here. We may end with this one. Is this helping anybody anywhere? So what we're doing is we're digging in the extremities of God's love. Number two, there is no fear in love. And we talked about this just a little bit back when we read 1 John, but I want to bring some other things out. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4, and we'll probably close out with this one. There's no fear in love. 1 John chapter 4. And let's go ahead to verse 16. Jared, you were right. Thank you if we can. Appreciate our media team. Can we encourage those guys? Man, following me is like trying to keep your eye on the tennis match. Hallelujah. We have come to know, 1 John 4, 16. We've come to know, meaning this revelation of how much God loves you is something you kind of grow into. You develop into it. Meaning you got to give it one year. Give, give God one year of your life and see how different you are after that year. We've come to know and we've believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who in, abides in love, remains in love, abides and remains in God. And God remains in Him. 
That's why Jude teaches in his book to keep yourselves in the love of God. Now notice this here in verse 17. By this love is perfected. Love is matured. Love grows up. It is made complete. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Now keep this up. I want you to see this. I'm going to show you something that you've never seen before. So we can have confidence on the day of judgment. Everybody's heard about the judgment of Christ. We're going to be judged for our sins. Every idle word. And preachers like to stand up and go, if you don't give in the offering, you're going to be judged one day. God knows your heart. and You're going to stand before God in judgment one day. And we're bleeding together the great white throne of judgment where those who die apart from Christ are judged and eternally sentenced to uh, hell and they're eternally sentenced to a life separated from God. And we're confusing that with the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, because who's Christ? He's my best friend. He's my father. And the Bible talks about wood, hay, and stubble. The, the things I do in the flesh are going to be burned up. But the things I did in the will of God out of obedience, the gold, precious stones, they're going to be left. And that's I'm standing before my Father, and I'm not afraid of His judgments because of how much He loves me. Notice this here. You ready? Because as He is, so are we. Say that with me. Ready? Because as He is, so also are we in the world. You ready? Here's a revelation. Write this down. Because as he is loved, so are we loved. Because as Jesus is loved, so are we. Because as Jesus is loved, so are we. If you don't believe me, turn to John 17. I want you to see this. We'll, we'll jump back to this in a second. Look at John chapter 17. The glory which you've given me, Jesus is praying this before the cross. This is a prayer for the believers, for the disciples. I've given to them that they may be one, just like we are one. Now notice this here. Here's a heavy revelation. Here we go. Look at verse 23. I am in them and you are in me. Jesus is talking to the Father. That they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and that you have loved them. He's praying for his disciples. He says, I pray that they would know that you love them even as you have loved me. Can you settle in your heart that God loves you as much as he does Jesus? Therefore, that love cast out fear. Go back to 1 John 4. And let's look at verse 17. Because as he is, as Jesus is loved, so are we also loved in the world. Now go to verse 18. Here we go. This is where we get this. There's no fear of rejection, no fear of condemnation, no fear of God's word not working for me, no fear that I'll be ashamed, no fear that I'll be embarrassed. There is no fear in love because perfect love cast out fear. No fear in love. Let me give you an example we can all understand. Just yesterday, I went over to George and Rita's home. They were gracious enough to cook us lunch, and it wasn't so much that they wanted to see me, but they have really cute grandkids. And so we will feed you if you bring the grandkids. Let me know that's a deal I'll take every day of the week. Praise the Lord. So we parked the van on the road and not in the driveway as normal, and there was somebody getting ready to leave. And so as we were leaving, it was just such a revelation, Jim. It's just so, I was like, this is, this is it. This is this scripture right here. As I was walking down the driveway, pretty decent long driveway, there's, there's a house over here and there's this very angry dog. 
someone must have really tormented this dog as a pup because this dog is like, I will eat you and your whole family. I mean, this is vicious. George knows what I'm talking about. And you know what? There's, there's also this very angry dog right here. But guess what else was right there? There was a fence. Thank you. For those of you whose IQ is above 70, <laughs> thank you. Praise the Lord. There was a fence there. And do you know that I walk, I, that dog right here is going crazy. It's a big dog, mean dog, big teeth, snot. It's like, I will kill you. That's what the dog is screaming. Rah, rah, rah. And all I'm doing, I'm just standing there. I'm not like poking at the dog. But you know what? Adam, I walked right up to that fence and I was going, hey, dog. Hey. And he was going crazy, going crazy. It's like, hey, dog. Hey. Hey, dog. Yeah. Guess who had zero fear about that dog? Do you know why I had zero fear? Because there was a fence. <laughs> now, if the fence were gone, I would be running like a chicken. I'm not going to lie. I had zero fear because of the fence. And I saw a scripture. Oh, Lord, help me. I saw a scripture like I've never seen before. As Tara, I want you to come up and help us with some music. I saw a scripture that I'd never seen before. It's the love of God that constrains us. And I've always heard people teach it, well, because I love you, I'm not going to punch you because <laughs> God's love constrains me. No, 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 no. God's love was totally constraining me from the evil on the other side of the fence because perfect love cast out all fear. And, and, and God's love is the fence. And when I'm walking on the right side of the fence, when I'm walking in His Word, and I'm abiding in Him, and He's abiding in me, and I'm, I'm getting a revelation of how God loves me, the devil may be barking on the other side. Situations may be barking on the other side. Trials and tests may be barking on the other side. But I have no fear because God's love is holding me back. It constrains me from the evil that's on the other side. Now next week, Every, every week I promise you that I'm going to tell you how this relates to faith. And it really is point number three. Show them, Jared, just so they believe me. <laughs> faith is a response to God's love. I've been promising you for three weeks we're going to talk about this love and how it energizes your faith. We're just not going to talk about it this week. So you have to come back next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your presence.